Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills, in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. In today's program, we are studying the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. Here's Pastor Ryan. Good evening. Blessed to see you guys on this beautiful Wednesday evening. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, in the Old Testament to 2 Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 36. And give me an amen once you are there. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. Lord, we're just so grateful that you love us so much. And you've given us salvation through your son, Jesus. And Lord, we know that one day we're going to see him as he is. And we cannot wait, Lord. You say that those who have this hope should purify themselves with that hope. And so tonight as we study your word, we know that it is a purifying agent. Wash us with your word. Teach us your ways, Lord. And help us, Lord, to be the people you want us to be. Oh, Father, give us spiritual eyes to see just the reality of your spiritual kingdom. Lord, speak to us, we pray. We know that the night is as day to you. And that blesses us, Lord. And you also say, blessed are those who by night stand in the house of the Lord. We are blessed, Lord, and ask a blessing upon your word. May it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, Amen. Amen. All right, so Second Chronicles chapter 36. Lo and behold, guys, we have made it to the end of Second Chronicles. Last chapter of the book of Second Chronicles, and I'm excited uh, to uh, get into uh, Ezra next, but... Uh, we have come to the end of this book. It's been a great book. We know that God, throughout the book of Second Chronicles, had warned the kings of Judah. There was little discussion of the kings of the north because the chronicler focused on those kings who would reign in the style of King David because it's the lineage that would lead to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that would come through King David. And so the focus was on generally the southern kingdom of Judah and not the northern kingdom of Israel. But the Lord had warned the kings to follow his commandments and that if they were to follow his commandments and love him uh, the way they ought to and not forsake him and go towards the idols of the nations around them, that they would be blessed, that their lives would be blessed, that their kingdom would be blessed, that no one would be able to come against them. But if they were to turn away from the Lord, then judgment and destruction would come their way. As believers in Jesus Christ, the son of David, today, we are called to show our love for Jesus in our obedience. If there was any word that I would 
that comes to mind, and I, and I believe it's biblical, that would describe what it means to love God, to love Jesus. It would be obedience. It would be obedience. Obedience proves our love for the Lord. And here we have this warning after warning with these kings, and really beginning with King Solomon because he's the one that uh, built the temple, dedicated the temple. He's King David's son who would become, who would be king. And it was during his reign that he would fail because he would turn away from the Lord. And, and thus the nation would be divided into two kingdoms. But the Lord warned him, blessed him and warned him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, he said, as for you, speaking of King Solomon, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom. As I covenanted with David, your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they embraced other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore he has brought all this calamity on them. And so at the end of this book, man, the die has been cast. There's no turning back from the wrath of God. We read about kings that sought the Lord and made reforms. Uh, uh, um, Hezekiah, Josiah, Jehoshaphat, and others. And, and, but, but generally the kings turned from the Lord and, and worshiped pagan gods and lived like the rest of the nations. And so, uh, the, like I said, the cast has been died. Judgment's coming. And it's coming in the form of the Babylonians. It's, uh, they're coming down from the north in a huge wave, King Nebuchadnezzar. And they're going to come and they're going to take them into captivity for 70 years. This book opens up with the beautiful building of the temple in Jerusalem. It was magnificent. You know, no doubt the wonders of that, one of the wonders of that ancient world. King Solomon's temple and all the palaces and all the houses and Jerusalem looked magnificent. If you ever get a chance today, you can look on YouTube and they have like a animated version of what the Jerusalem looked like during King Solomon's time. It was absolutely stunning and everyone was in awe who saw it. And so this book began with its building and, and dedication and God's promises. And now, because of the failure of the wicked kings, 
because God is a just God and he must bring justice to Jerusalem because they had perverted the people in the sacrificing of their children in the fires of Baal, these, these fake gods and these pagan idols. And they had done so much wickedness that it was coming. And so this book begins with the building of the temple and it ends with the temple in Jerusalem being burned to the ground. Isn't that interesting? It begins so wonderfully, but it ends uh, so so terribly for the temple. There is hope at the end because the captivity is only for 70 years. And God loves Israel. And though they go into captivity, he has a plan to bring them out. Amen? And it speaks to what's going on today. God's not done with them. And so God's not done with us. These things that took place in these kings' lives were written as an example for you and I to not follow the same path to destruction. They had every motive to obey the Lord. Think about it. Think about the Israelites. If you think about it in a simple level like Sunday school teachings of all the wonderful wonders that they learn about in those classrooms about how God saved the Israelites out of Egypt and how he parted the Red Sea and saved them uh, by the hand of Moses and just did one wonder after another wonder, leading them in a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, and just providing for them in the wilderness and just caring for them. And no one can match up against them. No army can stand against them because they are God's children and he blessed them. And we see all of these wonderful things that he had done for them. They had every motive to love God back through obedience and they chose not to. And that has been written for our warning. Don't lose your love for Jesus Christ, especially in these last days. Press into him, love him, give him your everything. Prove your love for him by obeying him. You and I have all the motive that we need to obey Jesus Christ. He saved you and I, from the eternal burning furnace, which is hell. We are no longer going to hell. He has wiped away our sins because of his death on the cross. That blood cleanses us completely. And he rose for our justification on the third day, and he's at the right hand of the Father. But what he commands us is that we would obey his commandments. It's the proof that we love him. Amen? All right, verse 1. Four more kings here, all in this chapter. Let's go. All right. Then the people of the land. This is after King Josiah, the good king who reigned for 31 years. After he died, it says, Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Now, 
we're told in the parallel story in 2 Kings chapter 23, you can read about him there. It tells us that Jehoahaz did evil in the sight of the Lord. So he, he reigned for only three months, and within those three months, he did evil the way some of his wicked fathers had done prior to him. Not his good father, Josiah, who was his, you know, his dad, basically his father, but those kings it speaks about who did wickedly. He followed in, in their, uh, fashion. And we're told that, uh, Pharaoh Necho, Pharaoh Necho is his name, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt, uh, puts him in prison here. We read, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Now the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Uh, then the king of Egypt made Jehoahaz's brother Elakim king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Jehoakim. And Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and carried him off to Egypt. And so we see here God's judgment before the Babylonians would come. Pharaoh Necho of Egypt is in the area. He was uh, fighting in the Megiddo Valley, that's where Josiah went up there and in, tried to intervene and and not heed the word of the Lord, and he died there. So Pharaoh Necho is already there, and and while he is there, as Josiah dies, he ends up doing this and really um, um, embarrassing uh, Jerusalem and its kings. Why? Because God's judgment was coming upon them. In a little bit. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians will come down and push all the Egyptians out of Israel down to Egypt, and it'll just be the Chaldeans. It'll just be the Babylonians. But the one thing that blows my mind is that the judgment of God upon them, it begins with the Pharaoh. And that takes us back to Exodus when they were in bondage to Pharaoh for 400 years before God heard their cry in the land of Egypt and sent Moses in there to save them out of the bondage of slavery. It was so harsh. It was so brutal of a lifestyle, being slaves to the Egyptians, that the Hebrews cried out to God and their voice went right up to his throne room and he sent a savior in Moses to get him out. And he would constantly tell them to not go back there. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of our lives before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. We were in bondage to sin and death and the devil and this world. We lived however we wanted and that life was completely and utterly empty. We learned, and by God's grace, our eyes were opened that we realized we needed God because this life out there without Christ is terrible. And the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a moment, but in the end, it it leads to death, eternal death and heartache. And so I, I am so blown away here that prior to being taken to Babylon, the Egyptians are messing 
with the kingdom of Judah here. And the Lord says in Luke 9, Jesus said this, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I wonder how many Christians there are today that are still looking backwards to their old life and missing some of the things that they used to do, like the uh, Israelites did in the desert, crying out for the garlics and the onions back in Egypt. Satan is on a rampage right now, trying to disrupt, trying to destroy, trying to steal, trying to kill. And we as believers must keep our eyes on Jesus and not on the things of this world. We're in this world, but not of the world. The Bible says that if we love the things of this world, we're at enmity with God. Our affections, our love should be on the things of heaven, on the things of the Lord. He is such a good God because the old life, it just deposes people into hell as this king is deposed to Egypt of all places and there he will die. Interesting, is it not? Yeah. Pharaoh would tax them. It says here, uh, 100 talents of silver, which is three and three-fourths tons, and one talent of gold, which was 75 pounds of gold. And that was a hefty price for them at that time. And, and that's what the devil does. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, to rob people of the good things that God would have for them. And you, you just see what's, what's happening to, to the southern kingdom of Judah, and it's just heartbreaking. It didn't have to be that way. You know, and, and every king that did right in the sight of the Lord, God blessed their life. They were so prosperous. No one could touch them. And it, I believe it is the promise for every believer. Nothing can touch you. Nothing can tax you. Nothing can, can keep you down because you are a child of the Lord. And he blesses. He blesses. It says here that uh, Jehoahaz's brother, Elakim, uh, king, uh, uh, was placed as king over Judah and Jerusalem, and uh, Necho, Pharaoh, changed his name to Jehoiakim, and Necho took Jehoahaz's brother and carried him off to Egypt. He changed his name. You might say, what's in a name? I mean, think about that action. King Pharaoh Necho is basically showing all of Judah, all of Jerusalem, and anybody who's watching him, that he has superiority over the southern kingdom of Judah. He's so powerful that he's changing the name of their king and actually placing the king he wants over them, but changing that king's name. It's a display of of absolute authority and power to say, no, nah, I'm changing your name. You know, when I was in my Egypt days, B.C., before Christ days, you know, where I'm from, you get nicknames. And I was called by my nickname for almost nine years that it was almost a relief 
when I would hear my God-given name of Ryan. There was an innocence to my name, and there wasn't an innocence to my nickname. In the book of Revelation chapter 3, the Lord says to those who overcome the church of Philadelphia, he says to them, I will write on him my new name. My new name. God gives us a new reputation, a new life, and a new name. Satan wants to just bring bad names to us. We did so much to have some form of honor and respect when we were in the streets to think that, as the Bible says, that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he shall give you the desires of your heart. As a kid, I was never honored. I was never respect. I was never truly loved. And God has given me those things because he's a good God. He's a good God. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, what a name, huh, guys? The king of Babylon came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. Now, Jehoiakim paid a tribute to Nebuchadnezzar for three years. And then he rebelled and said, no, I'm not going to do that. Guys, this is the time of Jeremiah. You read Jeremiah, and, and this is God's prophet on the scene is telling all of the kingdom of Judah, all of the Israelites there, he's saying to them, do not resist the Babylonians coming and taking you as slaves. That's, from, that's God's punishment. Don't resist it. How easy was it for kings like Jehoiakim or uh, uh, Zedekiah uh, uh, next who will say, oh, come on. Our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Israel. He parted the Red Sea and saved us. And surely you're, you're out of your mind and would throw Jeremiah in prison. Oh, no, no, no. All of those benefits of God were for those who love him. They are not for those who disobey him. It's Wednesday night and I don't know what my point was. But the Holy Spirit hopefully is zapping somebody. <laughs> oh, well, Nebuchadnezzar came down, put him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of the articles from the house of the Lord of Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations which he did and what was found against him, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Um... The Babylonians would 
come into Jerusalem, three major uh, attacks where they would take captives. This is the first one in uh, 605 BC, which they say that the prophet Daniel was amongst those cap those Israelites taken captive. So the prophet Daniel and his buddies would be taken as well with Jehoiakim in that first wave. The second wave will come in 597 BC and then the final wave in 586 BC. And so it's three attacks where they would just take captives. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 8.30 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicollet Street in Banning, California. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. We don't.